one of the things that I think people are sort of peeling back on is this urgency to do something because cookie list is delayed for for two years. And I think that is not a good strategy. You're listening to Identity Revolution, a podcast from the consumer identity management experts at Infutor Data Solutions. In each episode, we invite industry leaders for data-driven discussions on all things marketing, analytics, and identity. Join us as we take a deep dive into industry trends, strategies, and the future of data technology. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Infutor Data Solutions Identity Revolution podcast. My name is Corey Davis. I lead the MarTech, AdTech, and Media vertical here at Infutor, and very, very excited today to have our guest, Jess Simpson. Jess is SVP of Global Identity Data and Tech Consulting at Publicis Group. I was hesitant about the French. Early in her career, spent some time at Ninth Decimal, at Zenith, at Analect, at Centro here in Chicago, which we love. And the group is focused on consulting and advising some of the largest CPG, retail, entertainment brands in the world on building first-party data assets to compete in this obviously ever-changing media and marketing landscape. So very excited to jump in. Jess, thanks for... Yeah, thanks for having me. Excited to chat. Yeah, absolutely. So I guess to get us started, can you give the audience a bit of background beyond just my my basic intro there on, on yourself, your career, and sort of what led you to this role that you're in now? Yeah, so it's kind of interesting. I didn't have any intention to be in the role that I'm in now. It just found me. I started my career in journalism and communications, and then by way of curiosity, ended up in this role. I just saw it as an area that needed to be figured out. It seemed like just the gap. That was always where the questions came from the clients. And it always was around measurement and data and technology. And so that's kind of where I ended up gravitating towards throughout my entire career, whether it was product marketing or solutions engineering, and then now with consulting. But it's all kind of been the same thing. And it's been figuring out how to solve for client issues using technology and data and, and then pairing that with strategy. So Helen Lynn actually led me to this role. I was primed to go to a completely different company and a completely different job set. And she swooped in at the last minute and I put an offer in front of me that I couldn't refuse. And I'm forever grateful for that because it's been a very wild and exciting ride. I, I started in October and um, it's been very fun and challenging. And I feel like I learned something new and exciting every day and our team's growing. So. Awesome. Very grateful to be here. Awesome. Good to hear. And so a little bit deeper on the actual functional role. Like, so you're sitting at the holding company level. Yeah. So I guess, where's the work focus? Like, what do you spend in your day-to-day on? And I guess what's sort of the problem you're solving or helping to solve for clients? Yeah. So it's, it's a couple different things. I actually manage two different teams. So I manage our verified team, and then I manage a faction of our consulting team. And so the verified team is probably the team that most folks are most familiar with. And that is really known for being our marketplace intelligence team. And historically, that's been run by a woman named Shelly. 
And that's been a team that has been known for like the badging and scoring and standardization of tech in the marketplace, primarily focused on emerging tech and SSP and DSPs. And as the landscape has shifted into more privacy-preserving technology, our remit has changed from badging and scoring to more education, assessment, and building a portfolio or Rolodex. So we're focused more on CDPs, identity, consent management platforms, those types of things. And so that's really building out the um, Rolodex, the portfolio library, the knowledge center, so that the consulting team can actually draw from that and build out what we call our three pillars. And so we really do function, the consulting team functions, and it's a little bit newer of an organization. It tethers itself really nicely to the precision team. But primarily before this, we had really only been focused on activation strategy for a lot of our in-housing clients. And now we're kind of almost like a sister organization to Sapient where we do do very similar factions of discovery, design, and implementation, and then kind of kick it back over to the PM teams or the media teams to operate, but very focused on education and assessment and strategy design, similar to like the Accentures and BCGs and Deloitte's. But we're going to take that a step further, which is a little bit different from them. And we're going to look at very focused discovery and assessment of Where are you vulnerable? Where are you durable in terms of your media spend and weight, your KPIs, your benchmarking, and then build that into a storyboard and use case for you. And then kind of parlay that into your solution guide so that you can dovetail that into very academic and scientific approaches to testing and investment recommendations, whether that's media or technology or data infrastructure. And so that's a big piece of consulting. And we sort of break that into three different sections. And that could be focused on our opcos and upscaling the opcos to sort of service the client specifically by being more strategic practitioners. We could be more in an advisory role for somebody who's more focused on in-housing, or we could be direct to client engagements. And so there's pieces of thought leadership and education, there's pieces of enabling assessments, and then there's, you know, direct to client oh, work there. That's a lot of stuff. That's, yeah. That sounds, it's that awesome cool. though. So fun. Yeah. You're never bored. <laughs> okay. And so I guess taking a step back and just broadly about marketers and big brands, every kind of vertical, I guess, what are the easy areas each brand can improve on both tactically and strategically, I guess, in building their own their own data set? Yeah, it was interesting. I was actually just listening to a podcast before this where I was Matt Brash from Zeotap was on talking to the crew at Exchanger. And one of the things that I think people are sort of peeling back on is this urgency to do something because cookie list is delayed for for two years. And I think that is not a good strategy. And so the easiest thing is sometimes the hardest thing because you have a lack of motivation behind that. But the, the one thing that I tell my clients all the time is get your house in order before you do anything else. And typically what that means is invest in the technology 
that is going to centralize your own first party data so that you can create not just fragmented experiences for the consumers that you know are privacy first experiences, but holistic experiences for the consumer so that you're focusing not on all customers, but your customer first. And that's going to enable this centrifugal force that puts your customer first and helps you get your house in order. But it also enables you to have better facilitation with other second and third parties, be that publishers or brands, or what we're starting to see as what we call data unions, which is basically... I think the net new third party data ecosystem that's driven by consumers. So it's this concept of sovereign identity or decentralized identity where the consumers are kind of through data wallets and all this other good stuff. They're, they're opting in through affirmative consent and saying, okay, in exchange for something, usually some sort of monetary incentive, I'll give you access to my data. And then what these data unions do is they kind of all come together and, and pile on all these different apps and browser extensions. But you can't really get to all of that without having a platform and an infrastructure internally that organizes your own first party data first. And so I think historically, we've always kind of gathered the data and then cleaned it up afterwards. Now I think the time is really in place, like let's get your consent strategy in place Let's get your infrastructure and technology foundation in place. And so you have all of those pieces in order and your house is in order so that whatever comes in is clean and sound. And then you kind of go to market with a stronger foundation so that whatever happens over here, you're not as being reactionary to because this over here is more solid. Love it. That's probably a good transition into, you know, I think certainly the also love the highlight of Matt. He was a prior guest on our show. So and yes, I've listened to the Ad Exchanger podcast <laughs> that he recently did also. Good stuff. So third-party cookie deprecation delayed by some period of time. But next to that or in parallel to that, I guess, is iOS 14.5, obviously GDPR a few years ago. CCPA and other sort of state-led regulations here in the US, you've spent the last several years, at least, I don't know, close to a decade across the space around data, around ad tech, now agency side. Where are we going? What's the next 10 years look like or five years or even two years look like in this space? I mean, certainly there is a portion of the consumer set that is concerned with the way that data is used. But what's the prediction for, say, two years, five years out from now as it relates to data, marketing, advertising, all that stuff? (laughs) Yeah. So I have kind of an unpopular opinion on this. And I don't know. I could be wrong. I mean, what do I know? You know, I'm just like... I'm just a mom who lives in Atlanta who like listens to a lot of podcasts and has a Google search set up. But I actually have my bets. Like if I was a gambling woman, which I'm not, I'm not a gambling woman, but if I was, I find four concepts incredibly interesting. I will first start by saying the group has made significant investments in partnerships like UID2, 
which I think is a sound investment. And I think what the Trade Desk is doing with their recent announcement in the new startup funds to try to support startups that are helping for a free and open internet, I think that that is phenomenal. I love that. And I love our partnership with the Trade Desk. So I fully support what they're trying to do. I do have fears. And one of the first things I tell my clients to ask you know, when they're vetting solutions is, do they function in EMEA? Because EMEA sent, tends to set the precedent and the tone for if a solution is going to prosper or quickly hit a fast and furious demise. We have invested significantly in Epsilon. I think, honestly, Epsilon doesn't get a lot of play in the press, but they have a fantastic first-party data solution. They have an extraordinarily good partnership with Adobe. Identity is not just what you do in the paid ecosystem. Identity starts on the back end, and Epsilon does a really good job of that and probably loses out on a little bit of play to the live ramps of the world just because they're not as boastful in the media. And so I think that there are federated email solutions and authenticated identity solutions that are really important for today. However, I think that as federal legislation comes down the pipe, and I think that as that is coupled with what has to be antitrust laws, I think that you're going to start seeing those types of solutions become more difficult to execute at scale. So the extensibility of those is going to become more difficult, which is why I think the flock concept is not using hashed email, but it has similar components of an ID-based identity solution. It's just an aggregate and it's like a zero-party trust environment because you're basically giving that trust to Google, which is why it didn't work in EMEA and why the UK Markets Authority is basically saying, like, listen, Google, whatever you decide to do in phase one when you're testing your net new solution, one of your 30 new APIs, like, we want to be involved in that and kind of approve it with you, right? So... I really like what's coming out of the publisher ecosystem. And I think it's cool. I think it's time for the publishers to shine. So what's kind of going on with the ID5s? So they're using hard and soft signals. I think some of the hard signals around, again, the hashed email, who knows what's going to happen there unless there's like some sort of centralized internet portal. Some of the soft signals around user agent IP address, again, a little bit sketchy. Who knows what Apple's going to do and if Google takes suit, especially with some of the other browsers like Neva, Edge, DuckDuckGo. You know, I think that's kind of... But using publisher-provided IDs, like that pre-bids using like the PubCommon ID, the shared ID, first-party cookies in an auction-based environment supported by some centralized cleanroom, those are good solutions. Now, again, going back to Matt's podcast, they don't yet perform as well as cookies, but there was also a little bit of huff and fluff and puff with the cookie performance. So I think we got to give it some time to prove itself out. But I like what I'm seeing from the publisher ecosystem in terms of what's coming out of there. It is cross-publisher. It's not cross-device, but it's good. It's auction-based. It takes a lot of onus away from the agencies and brands, and I like it. I also am loving what I'm seeing from like the clean room to clean room type of environment. And there's a lot of different types of clean room to clean room. So InfoSum is coming up with this idea of like basically privacy intersect models, which is very different. 
from homomorphic encryption and federated learning and hashed API and clean room to clean room. So what Snowflake is doing with the data exchange and what Data Fleets is doing and what Newstar is different, that's all different from what InfoSum is actually doing. So there's a lot of different flavors of clean room to clean room type of facilitation, but it's all powered by AI. And so I actually think that's going to be a very powerful force that causes the like most amount of disruption with the least amount of friction. And AI has been around forever. I actually just found out that it was created by a priest in like the 1700s, which is so cool. But you're starting to see the big companies really lean in around data ethics and how to standardize AI, even the FTC. And I mean, we're working with IBM, New York Times, a bunch of folks. It's actually led by Shelly on how to really focus on that. The other two things I think too, again, like the decentralized identity solution. So the data wallets, the data unions, the browser extensions, how do we kind of tap into that as the next level of third-party data and use that complementary to some of the publisher first-party data and second-party data solutions? And then my next big bet is conversational marketing. And so I have a friend who's actually over at Live Person. And what I just discovered is that when someone goes in and actually free forms answers into an AI chatbot, it's considered affirmative consent. And it is protected by 200 years of legal precedent. So that is as powerful as someone authenticating an ID, like an ATS or a core ID. So in conversational marketing in just recent sort of proof points has like a 50% return on an ad spend or something like that. So I think like those four types of concepts, and again, it's hard to kind of test some of those right now because the only one that's really in market in full is the publisher-driven solution. But there are some AI tests that we're kind of trying to build out and experiments with Googles and others. There's so much opportunity. It's really just trying to simplify it and like frame it up client by client and tether it to use cases so they don't get overwhelmed. But people should be encouraged and excited. Like it's not just Google and it's not just like live ramp and ETS. Like there is so much more out there that you can do that's not just publisher specific. So like just don't sit around and wait for Google to make their announcement. Like there's more we can be doing. Love it. Love it. That was amazing. Excellent overview. That was incredible. Those four things, all those details there, that was awesome. Well done. Okay. Well, that was apparently that was a good question because that was a really good response. Good for me. Yeah, keep that on your docket, man. That was was a good question. (laughs) So with that, just kind of coming up on time here, I want to ask a little bit about obviously all of us have been in this really tricky situation for the last 15, 16 months. So what's going on? at home? Like, what are you doing outside of this day job that you have? Where are you spending your time on? I don't know. What are you reading? What hobbies have you picked up in the time at home? Like, how are things? What's going on? Well, I think I mentioned I am a mom to two small kids. So I have a four and a six-year-old who are basically whole humans that still don't sleep past 5 a.m. So I get a lot of things done. We have recently, one of the great things about working at Publicis is they give you stipends to promote your health, right? So in this short time I've worked here, we've invested in something called Fight Camp. You guys should all look into it, but it's this giant boxing apparatus that you like sit in front of your TV and you like actually box. 
So I have recently gotten into boxing and lost a whole bunch of weight over quarantine. So that was pretty cool. I'm super into that. My sister is getting married at the end of the summer. So I'm from Iowa and we live on a lake in Iowa. So my whole family is going to go back there at the end of the summer and I'll see my brother who lives in Hawaii. So we're going to do that. And we are selling our house. We actually just went under contract last night. I mean, we're moving out to the suburbs of Atlanta. So we've had a really busy, really busy summer and all things considered with, you know, the pandemic and the quarantine and such, we've been relatively unscathed. And so I feel quite grateful for all of it. But I got really into podcasts and really into reading. I discovered Scott Galloway. So Professor G. Well, I don't know how I hadn't come across him before. So I got kind of into like his podcasts and I'd just been reading some fiction novels. And then I got into the show my mom turned me on to on Netflix called The Last Kingdom. Super weird. Yeah, I just, I'm a nerd, man. I'm a mom and I'm a nerd and kind of like it. I go to bed at like nine <laughs> o'clock, living that mom life. <laughs> That's awesome. A lot going on there. Congrats <laughs> on the house and boxing thing sounds super. Is that like a, so it's called Fight Camp? Oh, it's rad. Yeah. So this is like first rule of fight camp is not to talk about fight camp kind of thing. Yeah, fight camp. Yeah. So I had to like, I mean, TMI, but like you literally have to like, I mean, you want to vomit. Like it's so hard and you go for like four rounds and you don't realize what it takes to maintain the stamina to box. Like when you watch the fights, like the UFC fights and the boxing on TV, they make it look so easy. That is way harder than Peloton or Orange Theory Fitness. And I do all that stuff and it is tough. So anyone who wants to get in shape, I highly recommend it. It's like a, I don't know, it's like 1500 bucks and it'll change your life. And it gets a lot of stress out. So if you work in the ad industry and you feel the stress, the changes of the cookie list announcements, good therapy. Love it. Love it. Awesome. All right. Well, I guess the last question I have for you is where can the audience go to find out more about and connect with you specifically, publicists, obviously, like, where can we go? Yeah, so I don't, I'm not on social media very much, but I am on LinkedIn. So you can find me on LinkedIn. I'm on Clubhouse. So I will shoot you over those links. So you can drop them in the podcast. And yeah, that's it. You can find me there. Awesome. Jess, we will uh, leave it there. Audience, thank you so much. And we'll see you next time. Thank you. Thanks again for listening to Identity Revolution. For more data-driven discussion, subscribe to Identity Revolution on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. And for more on how Infutor can improve your data strategy across your entire enterprise, visit infutor.com.